Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. where if you wanted to watch what happened here on Sunday, you had to wait until Wednesday. And by the time Wednesday rolled around, you needed it again, so you watched it on Wednesday. But we're actually live this morning, and so there are people that are watching live. Matter of fact, if you are here and you're on Facebook, we would love for you to pull out your phones right now and go to the Hope City page and share our live video so that your friends and family and the people that you um, have a network of influence with can know what's happening in this room at this very moment. So we want to welcome all those of are watching us online we really appreciate you taking the time to hang with us this morning here at hope city church we have been in a series of conversations over the last several weeks all kind of circling around this one central idea when god doesn't make sense now this is not a a, a, a central theme in a lot of conversations among church people primarily because we like to talk about when god does make sense right like any, any featured stories that are always highlighted on the 700 Club or on Christian Broadcasting, it's always stories of when God did the miraculous and God did something so cool and God worked out this amazing miracle and God did this and God did that. And we love sharing those stories. But the moments when God doesn't make sense, which for the record is more often than not, when God doesn't make sense, we don't like to tell anybody about it because when he's not making sense, it's not flashy, it's not sexy, and it doesn't sell well. Right? We're trying to convince our friends and family to come be a part of what it is that we're doing. And when the thing that we're doing doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, we don't like to talk about it. We keep it super hush-hush. And so what we've done over the last several weeks is had a really honest and authentic conversation. Because if we're being honest as church people, if we're being honest as followers of Jesus, there's a lot of times in our lives when God just doesn't make sense. And in case you're wondering, God's not trying to deny that fact. In fact, he promises in his word that his ways will be higher than your ways. His thoughts will be higher than your thoughts. And you will not understand the ways and functions and understandings of the Lord. There's a lot that he does. There's a lot that he says. There's a lot that happens in our existence that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we started off this conversation by talking about those moments when it feels like that God's inattentive. Like we, we, we pray and nothing happens. Um, we, we ask God to show up and he doesn't show up. We, we just feel like, like we're praying to the ceiling because our prayers aren't making it there, obviously, because God is inattentive. And there are moments when God seems that way to us. And if you weren't here for the first part of this series, we'd love for you to jump online and go and catch up because we talked about what to do when God seems inattentive. And last week we talked about what it looks like when God seems late. I think a better way to word that would be when God is late. Because one of the things that I've grown exceedingly frustrated by and about, and also one of the things that I resonate with more than anything personally, is the fact that God runs late. So anytime somebody yells at me, freaks out at me, gets upset at me because I'm running late, I'm just trying to be like Jesus, right? Got my WWJG bracelet, what would Jesus do? He run late, because that's what he does. Matter of fact, one of his buddies, we talked about this last week, one of his buddies was dying. And rather than showing up on time and saving him from dying, he let him die. 
And then everybody said, dude, you're running late. And Jesus said, yeah, that's kind of how I operate because I do more on my schedule than I could ever do on yours, right? And so we talked about that last week. If you didn't uh, get a chance to hear it or you weren't here for that, make sure you jump online and listen to that. But this morning, I wanna have a conversation not about when God seems inattentive, not about when God seems late, but probably one of the most frustrating and debilitating attributes of God, and that is when God seems uncooperative. I think a better way to say it would be like this, when God says no, no. See, we don't talk about this very much. All of us have experienced when God told us no, or not right now, but none of us talk about it. And so we just assume that our lives just must function differently than their lives because they've obviously got a direct connection to God and we don't, and they've got God in their back pocket. And so God always says yes to them, but God never tells me yes, but I don't want to tell anybody that because I don't want to embarrass myself, right? But I think for everybody in the room, if we're honest, there are moments and there are seasons when God says no. And when it comes to our plans and what we want, he's very uncooperative. And I can relate to this. Friday night, my wife and I took um, our kids out. We have five children ranging from 15 to 1, um, which makes no sense either. And that's a whole other conversation that we can talk about another time. But we took our kids out to a family photo shoot. I don't know what the Protestant equivalent of purgatory is, but I'm pretty sure this was close to it, right? This was one of the most brutal circumstances and situations that we've ever went through as a family. I'm still not sure if our marriage is going to survive what took place on Friday night, right? We went out with somebody we knew, Ryan, one of our pastors here at Hope City, and we had to go with somebody we knew because we didn't want to run the risk of embarrassing our reputation in the community, right? And we went out to do these pictures, and it was the most god-awful experience ever. And let me tell you why. It was for several reasons. Number one, um, we allow our 15-year-old to babysit our kids, our younger kids, a lot. And so she kind of thinks of herself as like a mama figure in our house. The problem is when the real mama figure is around, and you got another mama figure trying to tell, what the, to tell the kids what it is that they're supposed to do, the two mama figures don't get along very well, right? So I got these two women arguing, mama trying to be... Uh, mama to, to, to mama and then mama arguing back and then me in the middle just going I don't even know what y'all are doing and I don't want to have anything because I'm going to get in trouble no matter what I say right and then we've got our one year old who has just recently learned that he has the capacity and the ability to run so we sit him on the edge of our knee for this picture or we stand him up in the front of the picture and we say Cohen look and he doesn't look he looks and runs away out of frame right and so we've got so many pictures of people yelling at each other and my kid running off. And of course, all the while, I've got uh, two other younger kids who are, are legitimately like freaking out on my one-year-old. Cohen, stay here. You're supposed to stay here. Like freaking out right now. And then I've got another kid who never gets involved in anything. His name's Carson. He's super cool. If you ever want to hang out with the coolest kid on the planet, hang out with my son Carson. He will not give you any trouble at all. However, he gets bored very, very, very quickly. So while we're trying to garner the attention of our one-year-old and while we're trying trying to get our 15-year-old to stop arguing and while we're trying to get the other kids to keep a smile on their face and stop telling other people what to do, Carson is like off in oblivion land, like, when he's getting super bored because what we're doing is, is completely uninteresting to him. And so he's not looking at the camera either. And it's a completely stupid fiasco of an experience, right? 
all because I've got a bunch of people all gathered together who've made the decision that they are going to be uncooperative, right? And when people are uncooperative, it is frustrating for us. But when God is uncooperative, it is not only frustrating, it's disheartening. Because we know he has the ability and the capacity to be cooperative. He could say yes, but he's choosing to say no. That's frustrating. Like if we're being really, really honest, it causes us to wonder, are you even paying attention? Do you even really care? I know that your word says that, that you do, and I, I know that that's what we teach at our church, but dang, it just doesn't feel that way right now because anybody who cared wouldn't say no. They would say yes. Because we want God to do what we want him to do. We want him to cooperate with us, right? Let me just pose a question to you there real quick. In what other arena of your life do you want God to act more like you, right? Is it when you're flying off the handle at your kids? Is it when you're in the middle of a big fight in your marriage? Is it when you make a stupid mistake that you can't seem to clean up because of how big of a mistake it was? Is that when you want God to look more and act, act more like you? See, we want God to be perfect in all of his ways, but then we want God to act and think and do things just like us until we don't, right? In no other area of our life do we want God to be more like us until we're telling God what it is we want him to do. It's the same way with my kids. They're experts at telling me what it is that they want and why they want it. And I'm an expert at telling them, no, right? Because I know better than them. But they don't realize that. They're cool that dad's different than them. They're cool that dad has a job and pays his bills and provides a roof over their head and provides meals when they want meals and that they can go in the pantry and get whatever they want whenever they want it. They're cool with all that until I say, no. And then all of a sudden, they're the experts at why dad is an idiot. We hate it when God says no. Because we love the reality that all of God's promises are yes and amen. But there are moments when God tells you no, because he's got a much better yes in store the problem is we don't understand or, 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 or relate to the yes that he's got in store. We're just ticked off that he's not giving us what we want when we want it. And I think that there's someone who wrote the majority of the New Testament that can relate to us. A guy whose name was Saul, then his name was changed to Paul. Not only did he write much of the New Testament, but he started much of the early church. Spent nearly 20 years traveling from city to city and doing the work of planting the early church on behalf of the Lord. And consistently over and over and over again, he asked God to do something and God told him no. Let me show you what I'm talking about. If you got your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's the letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And in this particular letter, he's speaking in regards to himself. And in the first six verses of this particular chapter, the apostle Paul is talking about the opportunities that God's given him and the knowledge that God's given him and the experience that God's given him and how, how God has positioned him uniquely and, and, and specifically to accomplish his purposes in the world. But that comes with a responsibility. 
and God wants to make sure he keeps his eyes on the responsibility. So he picks it up in verse 7, and he says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Most scholars believe this was probably an actual physical ailment. There was some kind of physical ailment, either, either about with malaria or, or, or poor vision that kept him from being able to do what it was that he needed to do, or, or, or some type of ailment that consistently caused him to be debilitated whenever he went out to do what it was that the Lord wanted him to do. So he would go from town to town, go from place to place, he would preach, he would hold these leadership seminars, he would hold these conferences, he would do all this stuff, and every time he would go, he would be debilitated and reminded of this thorn that was in his flesh. And it says here that God gave him this thorn, put this thorn in his flesh. And it says here that a messenger of Satan came to torment him. Now, we don't know if Paul's talking literally or figuratively here. There's no way for us to understand or know. You know, some of us make statements like, I'm going through hell right now. We're not actually in the physical place called hell. So we don't know if Paul's talking literally or figuratively. But God took off the, the, the protective shield and allowed a thorn to be placed into Paul's side, which was debilitating at every turn. And look what it says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So, so, so here's what you got to understand. This is not like three specific prayers. It's not like you woke up on Monday and said, Lord, can you take it away? Woke up on Tuesday, still there. Lord, can you take it away? Woke up on Wednesday, it was still there. Lord, can you take it away? No, these were long, drawn-out seasons of Paul's life. Over the course of time, there were three different seasons when this debilitating thorn was so frustrating and getting in the way so much that he said, God, you've got to take this away. And he pleaded with the Lord and he begged the Lord and God didn't do anything. So he went on about his business and then he came to another situation or circumstance where this thing was debilitating in his life and he asked again and God still didn't come through. Three times he pleaded with the Lord to take it away. And he didn't. He says, but he said to me, and these are the moments when we're frustrated, but I want you to lean in and try to translate some of that frustration this morning. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. So when this is debilitating, remember that my grace is sufficient for you to overcome this debilitating situation. When, when this is painstaking, I want you to know that my grace is sufficient for you to overcome this painstaking situation. When, when you find yourself not being able to do what other people are able to do because of this situation and circumstance, I want you to remember that my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness see here's what we love we love when sports stars or movie stars or television actors we love when they, they step up to give an acceptance speech or an award speech or they win a big championship we love at the end of it when they say i want to give all honor and glory to god we love watching people experience the power and presence and obvious glory of the lord in their successes but more often than not, God's power is made perfect. His glory is made, is made complete. It comes to full fruition, not in people's successes, but in their weakness. And this is why. Because in your success, you're still in the spotlight. It's still about you. And the very reason that God allowed this thorn to be put into the flesh of Paul so that it wouldn't be about him. The text even reads that way and says that. So he wouldn't become conceited. 
God's saying, I want your life to be lived in such a way that all of the glory comes to me. I want my power in your existence to be made perfect. But the only way it's made perfect is not in your successes, but it's in your weakness. It's in your struggle. It's in your difficulty. It's in your shortcoming. It's in your ability, inability to fix this situation. I want my power to be made perfect in your weakness. So Paul got to the place and the point where not only was he begging God to take it away, but he was saying, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. If you're taking notes, I want you to circle that word, highlight that word rest. That word rest in the Greek literally means lives in, lives on, or takes residence in. Because of your inability to accomplish what it was that Paul was accomplishing, because of your weaknesses, because of what's going on in your world, God's power is able to take residence up in your life. And He is able to do something in your life because of that weakness, because of that issue, because of that struggle that He would not have had the capacity to do if you didn't have it in place. Why do you think so many people who have so much are so unhappy? Why do you think so many people who live in gated communities have to file out of those gates every couple of weeks to go refill their prescriptions because of how unhappy they are? Why do you think just over the last 48 hours we've seen several major motion picture stars take their lives because they couldn't handle the pressure of life anymore? Here's why. Because when you're in the spotlight and you've got it all together and you don't have a need for the Lord, His power can't be made perfect in you. But when there is a weakness in you, when there is a shortcoming in you, when there is something that keeps you from being who it is that you want to be, God is able to step in and create in you who it is that He created you to be. Right? In your weakness, that's when you find the strength of the Lord. That's when His power is made perfect in you. This is why the Apostle Paul goes on and says this. This is why, for Christ's sake, and this is the part that we struggle with. Man, this is the part that we struggle with. I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. I delight in those things. I'm excited about those things. I'm joyful over those things. How do you get to that posture and that position? By understanding that when you are weak, that's when you're truly strong. When you allow your strength to be replaced by His strength, you move from natural ability to supernatural ability. You move from your plans to His purposes in your life. The reason that we struggle with this so much is not on the Lord, it's on us. We actually, we struggle with this because we so often trust our plans over His purposes. And we don't like to talk about that, we don't like to be honest about that, we don't like to admit that. But we would rather things go our way, right? 
the reason why I get so frustrated at my kids at a photo shoot is because they don't do exactly what I want them to do in the way I want them to do it. The difference between my kids, though, and the Lord is my kids don't know what's best for my life and doesn't know how to create a better yes when they say no to me. But God knows how to create something in me that I could have never created for myself, right? See, God is the creator and you and I are the creation. And when we say that the creation knows more about the creation than the creator, we stand in the way of being used to our full created capacity. God's saying to you and God's saying to me, I just need you, I need you, I need you. I know this, this thorn is painful. I know it's difficult. I know it doesn't make sense to you. I know it's really, really difficult and debilitating. But I need you to trust me that I'm not saying no because I don't love you. I'm not saying no because I don't care about you. I'm not taking it away because I'm some mean judge up in the sky. I'm saying no because I got a way better yes for you. And I need you to trust in me more than you trust in you. Man, y'all should be writing way more notes. This is good preaching. This is good preaching. Because I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, when we go through pain, when we go through difficulty, when we go through struggle, our immediate thought process is, God wants to get me out of this. Well, maybe God is allowing you to be in this because he's doing something in you that you would have never chosen for yourself. And when you say, God, get me out, and he says no, it's because he loves you more than you love you. And he cares more about you than you care about you. And he's got bigger purposes than you've got plans. Right? Now, two observations real quick, and then we'll be done. The first one is this. You have every right to ask God to take it away. You have every right to ask God to fix the problem, to change the circumstance, to undo the mess, to take away the pain. You have every right, and I would go a step further, you should ask God with faith and with boldness, and you should never stop praying, God, take it away. The Apostle Paul gives us clear examples. He pleaded with the Lord three times, take this away. You have every right to ask God to take it away. But God has every right to say no. God has every right to say no. And when we get frustrated and angry and upset at God because he's saying no, we miss out on what God has for us with that no. So please, when you plead and when you pray and when you beg and God says, sorry, not today. I've got that there for a reason. I've got that there for a purpose. I'm doing something in that right now. It's on you and it's on me to trust his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and he cares for us far more than we could ever care for ourselves. You know something I'm learning the longer that I live is that the more closely you align yourself with the Lord. Meaning, the more time you spend with the Lord, the more time you spend in His Word, the more time you pursue faithfulness to Him, the more energy and effort you put into that relationship, the more that your heart begins to align with the heart of the Father. Right? You'll notice that it says, Paul said, 
I pleaded for the Lord to take this away three times. Not I'm in the middle of pleading, but I pleaded, past tense. And here's why I believe he said it that way. Because there came a point in Paul's life when he stopped pleading. Because his heart began to align with the heart of the Father. Meaning, I don't enjoy this, this is not good, this is, this is painful, this is debilitating. But even though I don't enjoy this, I delight in this because of what God's doing in it in me. He stopped pleading for it to go away and he started aligning his heart with the heart of the Father. You say, Robbie, why are you telling us that? Because God's desire for you and God's desire for me is to get us to the place and the point. And it may be years down the road before we're there. But God's desire for us is to posture ourselves in such a way that we are completely and totally surrendered to Him no matter what that means for us. God wants us surrendered to Him no matter what that means for us because God is all about His glory being put on display in your life. God wants you to be used by Him for him. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to bow their heads and close their eyes. Nobody looking around. I'm going to ask the band if they will to make their way back up. We're getting ready to sing one more song together. And we make a lot of commitments and declarations and promises and conversation with the Lord through song. But one of the commitments that I want to ask you specifically to make today is the commitment to follow the prompting direction and leading of the Lord no matter what it may cost you maybe you're here this morning and you've been pleading for a long time and God's been saying no for a long time you've been struggling with that no for a long time but maybe today you're recognizing that the heart of your Heavenly Father is to do something in you that you couldn't do for yourself. Is to do something through you that you couldn't do on your own. And I say this with a lot of trepidation because I know there are so many of you that are struggling so much with what's taking place in your life. It's so difficult. The weakness that God has placed in you is such a struggle day in and day out. I want us collectively as a body together today to take some time and commit that even if the Lord takes us through the fire, even if the Lord takes us through the struggle, even if the Lord places a thorn in our flesh, we will follow and trust and believe and walk Over the course of the next few moments, with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, I want you to wrestle with that question. God, will I follow, will I follow wherever you lead me? Will I trust wherever you call me? And will I rest in your strength in the midst of my weakness? God, in these moments, speak to us now. Draw us close to yourself. Burden our hearts.
to commit ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.
looks like to follow Jesus. In the garden, the night before Jesus was executed, he prayed these words, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Meaning, I don't want this. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to do this. But he followed it up with these words, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God's desire for you and for me is to follow Jesus in such a way that we say, I don't want this. I want you to take it away. It's painful. It's difficult. It's a struggle. I don't want to face it. Nevertheless, I trust your will more than mine. I trust your promises more than mine. I trust your purposes more than mine. I trust your calling on my life more than mine. I trust who you are more than where I am. God's desire for you and for me is to be a people who follow Jesus. Because see, when Jesus followed the will of the Father, traded in momentary affliction for eternal salvation for the world. When we follow Jesus, we trade in our pain and our sorrows for the joy and opportunity and calling that is set before us that we could never create for ourselves. So God, thank you for the invitation that you've given us. Today we delight in that means you do something in and to us that we don't like. We delight in the work that you're doing through it. We will follow wherever you lead. Everything, all we have, all we are is yours. We are your people called by your name. God's church said, 